Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. So, God's steadfast love. God's steadfast love. I said all that previously to say, so, you know, if you're watching online and and you're waiting a little bit, listen, just enjoy the presence of the Lord where you're at. Get your Bible out. Put your popcorn down. Get your Bible out. Amen. Get your notebook. And uh, let's look at some wonderful things from the Word because I believe He has some things to say to us. Hallelujah. Lamentations chapter 3. And this is where we have been... uh, our starting place, God's steadfast love, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 20, and of course, Lamentations is uh, written by Jeremiah the prophet, and the word Lamentations is his, it's his, it's, it's a very sorrow-filled lamentation because of what's happening to Israel. They've come under the judgment of God. They've been brought into captivity. And uh, Jeremiah is lamenting over them. And, uh, but in the middle of this sorrow, in verse 20, notice he says, My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Well, what? It, what? His affliction and his misery. Verse 19. Then he says, this I recall to mind, therefore have I hope, not the affliction and the misery, what he's about to say. Notice, this I recall to mind, therefore I have a hope. What's he recall to mind? It is of the Lord's mercies, oh glory to God, that we're not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. Say, great is his faithfulness. Now, Jeremiah had almost given up hope. This is what you read. When you read these these chapters, he had almost given up hope because he was dealing with the people that had been disobedient to God. They'd come under God's judgment. But then he remembered something. That restored his hope. God's mercy and his loving kindness and his great faithfulness. Amen. 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 You know, all throughout the scripture, God likens himself to a husband that's faithful to his bride. Amen. And he talks in those terminologies all the time. You know, I I know most of the the husbands in here, and I can say that about you. Great is your faithfulness. Faithful to your family, faithful to your spouse, faithful to the things of God. Amen. God is greatly faithful. He's faithful to you. Amen. Do you understand that? When you're faithful, you're kind, you're considerate. You're not just there. There are a lot of spouses that are there, but they're not faithful. They're not kind. They're not compassionate. They're not merciful. Amen. Faithful, right? If, if, if you're faithful, you're the same every day. Can God change? Does God change? Will God change? Glory to God. He said it's because of your loving kindness we're not consumed. Hallelujah. God said about himself in Malachi chapter 3. He said, I'm the Lord and I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even though you've went away from me, even though you've done things that are wrong, even though though you've went away and you're accusing me of being the one that's causing all this bad stuff, he said, I'm still the God that I've always been. And because of that, you're not consumed. Woo, glory. 
Say it out loud. His mercies are new every morning. That word mercies, we've talked about it, is the Hebrew word hesed. And it means basically goodness, kindness. It means favor and mercy and pity. And uh, it carries this idea of covenant love. Steadfast love. That's what the marriage covenant is based on. God's love. Amen. I've had people before say, well, the marriage contract. Marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. Amen. 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 Do you understand that? If, 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 if we looked at marriage as a covenant, then there would be this greater propensity to work it out than end it. Amen. Contracts can be ended. Covenants are not supposed to be broken. God's covenant love, steadfast love, amen. Aren't you glad he's steadfast? God is presenting a picture of his love and goodness that's two things, unchanging and never ending, unchanging and never ending, unchanging, never ending. Cannot change and cannot end. Amen. We sing that song in church. His mercy, His goodness is running after me. That's what Psalm 23 says. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Notice, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Right? That word follow is to run after, to pursue, to chase down. So when even in times of a failure or times of a mistake or times of an issue that you may encounter, what's chasing you is goodness and mercy, not judgment and destruction. Glory to God. I've heard people say very religiously, well, brother, God doesn't wink at sin. Well, of course he doesn't wink at sin. Sin is sin is sin is sin. God doesn't grade on the curve. Sin is sin to God. But he says, even in that state, what comes to my mind is his mercy. Glory to God. If you're not mercy-minded, you're condemnation-minded. Mercy is not just overlooking a transgression. Mercy is is showing pity and compassion in spite of the transgression. God doesn't overlook things. He shows mercy in spite of it. He corrects it in mercy. He corrects it in compassion. He corrects it steadfastly. In other words, God will deal with you the same way He deals with everybody else if you will respond the way they responded. Glory be to God. Amen. You know, if you've raised any number of children, you understand something. They all have a different disposition, different personality. Some of them are headstrong. Some of them are not. Amen. When we were raising our children, uh, uh, my son, my oldest son, if if he did something wrong, all you had to do was look at him real stern, and he just, it just, oh, my goodness. Right? Now, my youngest daughter was the hard-headedest, just... My wife would say, she is your daughter. I mean, if she did something wrong and you'd say, now, did you do this? Well, they said I did. I mean, you get a a call from school or whatever the case may be. I did the same thing. What are you laughing at? Lexi's just up in here laughing out loud at her pastor. And if she really gets going, it'll sound like this. (laughs) Amen. Anyway. Anyway. My my point is, is there's always that child in the family that has that level-headedness. My oldest daughter would tell him, if y'all will just listen and do what you're asked, whether you agree with it or not, it'll go much easier on you. 
smart kid. Right? If you respond to God the way God says you should respond in the Word, you'll always get mercy. You'll always get compassion. You'll get steadfast love. You'll find that His great faithfulness will always be there. Amen? Hallelujah. So in these two verses, we see that God's compassion and faithfulness are tied to this word. We have a covenant of compassion and faithfulness with Almighty God. The fact that you're in covenant with Almighty God is mind-blowing enough. The fact that you're in covenant with an Almighty God who is merciful and compassionate and never changes is over the top. He cannot change. That's what Titus chapter 1 says. God who cannot lie. Right? Now look at 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Oh, glory to God. All praise to our good God. Our good God. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. Notice what it says. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, or the source of all comfort. Notice two things here. First of all, He's the Father of mercies. Not just one. Plural. The Woos Bible says the Father of compassionate mercies. Amen. Whatever the need, there's mercy to cover it. Amen. Whatever the need, whatever you need. How many know there's just times you just need mercy? Right? When a mistake's made, mercy's needed. So what do you need when you make a mistake? Mercy. Right? And remember, mercy's not feeling sorry. Mercy is defined as active compassion. God does... You can feel sorry for somebody and take no steps to help them. God doesn't just feel sorry for us. His mercy is active. It changes something. Amen. That's why when you make a mistake, don't attempt to justify it. That's pride. Remember the two men standing, Jesus told the story, the two men standing in the temple... And, and one was a Pharisee, one was a publican, a very wicked sinner. And the one that was the Pharisee talked about him and I and my. I give this of my income, I do this, I wash my hands, I do what I'm supposed to do. I thank you that I'm not like him. Amen. Right? And it said the other man stood there and wouldn't even lift his head up. But he smote his chest and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, who went home justified? The one that called for mercy. Not the one that said, I got it all together. Right? When you make a mistake, don't justify it. Don't even try to justify it. God, I need mercy. I I need mercy. I need that steadfast love to come into my life. Amen. Are you following me? I used to know a guy, and he would get mad, and and he'd throw a fit. One time he got mad in my office and got so mad I thought he was going to cuss. I mean, you remember that old, uh, what's his name, Uh, uh, Yosemite Sam? I mean, he got mad at me, and he was going, I'm afraid of him, I'm afraid of him. And my wife heard him. She goes, now be careful. And then he got mad and almost cussed her. You know what his response to those fits always was? Well, yeah, I did that, but here's why. In other words, you did something 
that prompted that. And what you did is justification for my reaction. Do you know he never got mercy? He never got mercy. Why? Number one, he never showed mercy. And number two, he always tried to justify what was done. Amen. Just ask for mercy. Yeah, but I wish I'd have done better. Well, I wish you would have too, but just ask for mercy. Lord, I need mercy. Right? Try that out. Say, Lord, there are times I'm going to need mercy. And I thank you for it right now. That guy, he just does the same thing. I, I wish he'd get his stuff together. Mercy. Mercy. It's, it's hard to show mercy to a person that won't admit they're wrong. Amen. Amen? If you can get good at admitting you're wrong, you'll get a lot of mercy. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. It's hard to show mercy to somebody that believes they have a right to do what they did. Hallelujah. Well, I have a right. If after what they did to me, I got a right to get offended. You can't get mercy. Why? Because nobody has a right to get offended. Hallelujah. Yeah, but you know, there's just so much a man can take. It's not what Scripture says. <laughs> Amen. Do you see that? Hard to show mercy to a person that believes they have a right to hold a grudge. See, I have an example called Jesus. And on the cross, he asked for forgiveness for them. Right? Why? The Father of mercies. Amen. When we receive mercy, it's an act of humility. When I receive mercy, it's an act of humility. I know I needed mercy, and I receive it. The Lord woke me up one morning, and he asked me a question. Or actually, it was, it was a statement, a very endearing statement. I don't share it a lot. But he said, Philip, please spend the rest of your ministry telling people, number one, how much I love them. Number two, how much I care about them. And number three, how much their life will change if they give it to me. Man, that just made me weep. Because he's asking me to tell people how good he is. Amen? Mercy. When we receive mercy, it's an act of humility. Look at Isaiah 38. Isaiah 38. And uh, we want to look at verse 20. Hallelujah. Are you receiving? Isaiah 38 and verse 20. Now, of course, this is uh, when uh, Isaiah had come to Hezekiah. Let's let's look at verse 5. Actually, let's look at verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Uh, Who said that? And what did he say? You're going to die and not live. Is that right? 
you're going to die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, Remember how I have walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David your father, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I will add unto your days 15 years. So it goes from you're going to die to 15 years more. Amen. Amen. And I'll deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I'll defend this city. And this will be a sign unto you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he's spoken. I will bring again the shadow of the degrees, which has gone down the sundial of Ahaz, 10 degrees backwards. So the sun returned 10 degrees by which degrees it was gone down. Now we, we, we talk about that, and, and very often we get a synopsis here in these verses of the whole scenario. But the remainder of this chapter tells us what Hezekiah said when he was praying. Now notice something. Something supernatural goes on here. And again, if we don't read everything that Hezekiah did and said, we may not understand all of it. Notice, he said, uh, I'm going to prove it by this. I'm going to cause the sundial to go backwards 10 degrees. Now, there are people that will read that and they'll go, oh, that's impossible. Well, here's the issue. Here's the issue. A person that says that, omits the supernatural ability of God. There are people I've talked to before, and they they would say things about the universe and the planet and the different things, and they would say, well, it couldn't be this way, because if it was that way, if space is a vacuum, then it couldn't exist, because that can't exist in a vacuum. And I told them, you're omitting the supernatural power of God. God said, I, in the book of Job, I created the universe with my words and hung the earth on nothing. That's what he said. You cannot shout about the iron axe head swimming and then tell me that God cannot make the sundial go 10 degrees backwards because both of them are a molecular switch. Both of them are impossible. Iron doesn't swim. It doesn't float. But yet scripture says it does. Or did. Amen. Well, how did he do it? I don't know. I don't know. One of the greatest things you can do to aid your faith is quit focusing on what you don't know. Well, I'd like to know. Well, when you go to heaven, find out. Amen. That, that It's there to tell us that God so loved Hezekiah and was so willing to show his mercy. He said, here's what I'm going to do to prove it to you. And he made the sundial go 10 degrees backwards. Now, ever how he did it, he did it. Amen. Amen. Are you following me? Now, notice. Let's read on. Uh, the writing, verse 9, of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and recovered of his illness. I said in the cutting off of my days, I will go to the gates of the grave. I'm deprived of the residue of my years. I said, I will not see the Lord, even the Lord in the land of the living. I will behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. When? When Isaiah came and said, set your house in order. My age is departed. It's removed from me as a shepherd's tent. I have cut off like a weaver my life. He will cut me off with pining sickness. From day even to night will you make an end of me. I reckon till morning that as a lion, so will he break all my bones. From day even to night will you make an end of me. Verse 15. What shall I say? He hath both spoken unto me and himself hath done it. Done what? Healed me. I will go softly all of my years in the bitterness of my soul. Woo. All, oh, Lord, by these things men lie. 
and all these things is the life of my spirit, so will you recover me and make me to live. Behold, for peace I had bitterness, for you have in love to my soul delivered it from the pit, my God, of corruption, for you've cast all my sins behind your back. Amen. Amen. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot celebrate you. They that go into the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living, he will praise you as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known your truth. The Lord was ready to save me. When? When he came and said, set your house in order, you're going to die. Notice what he's saying. Even then, the Lord was ready to save me. But I had a part to play in it. This is important. This is so important. Hezekiah was a godly king. He was putting idols out of Egypt or, or out of Israel. He defied people. He cleansed the land. He brought back godly worship into the nation. And now God comes and says, set your house in order, you're going to die. But Hezekiah said, he was ready to save me. Just because God's ready to do something does not mean he can do it. I have a part to play. Hallelujah. God wanted to save him from the beginning. But there's something Hezekiah had to do. He had to repent. He had to turn his face to the wall and repent. Amen. Well, I thought he was a good person. He was. Good, godly man. Good, godly people have to repent. Amen. Amen. Because repentance is the way out. Hallelujah. So notice he said, I was ready to save. Ready before he repented. Now, hallelujah. Do you see that? And notice what happened when he repented. God said, now go tell him I'm giving him 15 more years. And I'm going to prove it. I'm going to make the sundial go backwards. So not only will God forgive you, he'll use his supernatural ability to make things right in your life. When? When I repent. That's the goodness. We're going to read this in Romans. That's the goodness and the severity of God is that God will use his goodness to show you why you should repent. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at Jonah chapter 3. The Lord's been taking me back to Jonah a lot. And uh, when you look here in uh, the book of Jonah, chapter 3, and... uh, Really, from verse 1 to verse 9, and we're, uh, I'm not going to read all the verses, but we'll read enough so that we get the context. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid you. And he arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And he began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight-word sermon. But notice, go preach the preaching that I bid you. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, here's the question. Why did God send Jonah to Nineveh? Now, you hear any any number of of reasons. I've heard people say, uh, because he was going to judge it. Well, but in reality, he's looking for something. When God speaks to you, he's looking for something. 
if God was not merciful and compassionate, He just wouldn't say anything. Because He doesn't have to. He's, he's not under any requirement to try to change you. Because the price has been paid through Jesus Christ. Now here's this city, when, when you read, for instance, you read the book of Nahum, Nahum's all about Nineveh. Because years later, they went away from God. And they got judged. But God sent Jonah here and preached eight words, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He sends him to Nineveh to get a response. Verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God. And proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. Word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And verse 9, notice, because who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, and they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that He said He would do unto them. And He did it not. He did it not. Now notice there's some important words. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? And turn away from His fierce anger. And He saw their works that, notice, they turned. They turned. God sent Jonah because he wanted to change his mind. And it says they believed the preaching of Jonah and repented. They turned from their evil way. And what did God do? Changed his mind. You know, just because you change your mind about something doesn't mean you change. It's important. Why? Because if you're going to believe in the steadfast love of God, you've got to believe He doesn't change, but yet His mind can change. Why? Because over and over again in the Old Testament we see it, where it says God repented of what He was going to do. God changed His mind. Over and over again, when He was dealing with the people of Israel, uh, uh, He would say, get out of the way. I'm, I'm I'm going to judge them and start over with you. And Moses would say, now God, you know, it wasn't that he had to remind God. He's pleading the case. He's interceding. And it would say God repented of the evil that he was going to do. He changed his mind. So judgment is coming. Judgment is coming on this city. God sends Jonah, asks him to go, and Jonah runs to Tarshish, or tries to. That, that was the farthest point away. I guess he figured that if he got far enough away, uh, uh, God couldn't find him. (laughs) Amen. But I'm I'm telling you, you can be on a deserted island with one palm tree and hide behind that one palm tree and God say, hey. (laughs) Right? So so, so he pays the, the, the passage, gets on the boat, and you know the story. The storm starts. And all these guys are praying to their gods. They're throwing the stuff overboard. Amen. And you see some humility out of Jonah. Because they say, we don't understand what's going on here. And Jonah says, I do. Now notice, part of repentance is taking responsibility. He said, I know what's going on. I serve the God who created the universe and all the seas. And I'm running from him. Now notice, he says, throw me overboard. Wait, what? Get rid of me and this will all end. That's humility. I'm the problem. If you're going to see God's steadfast love consistently, you've got to always come to the the, the understanding that when I need to change, I need to change. 
Amen. And you know the story. They threw him overboard and the, and, the, and the storm ceased. And it says they were amazed how quickly the storm ceased. And then Jonah's in the, in the belly of that great fish for three days and nights. And again, there's people who say, well, that, that's impossible. Well, not if God did it. The Bible says God prepared that fish. You don't even know what it was. People have said, well, you know, but, but a man can't fit through a whale's esophagus. And well, he didn't say it was a whale. He said it was a great fish. And it says God prepared him for Jonah. That fish may not even exist anymore. This is important. I hope you're following along. Hope you're awake. Amen. Because God's got a job for him to do. And when Jonah repented, God made a way out for him. And then Jonah went and preached to that city, and the city believed what he said and repented. Why? So God could change his mind. Was, did God want to change his mind? Was that his desire? We know it was because why? He sent Jonah. If God didn't care, he would have just destroyed him. Hallelujah. You know, when you were lost in your sin, God came looking for you. Amen. Amen. He, right? He sent the Holy Spirit on a mission to convict you and bring you to him. He put people in your pathway to share the gospel with you. Why? He wanted you to repent. Amen. So God wanted to change his mind. Notice chapter 4 and verse 1. Hmm. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Well, well, why? They're going to think I'm a false prophet. They're going to think I missed it. Came all the way here. Don't even get to see any fireworks. <laughs> and he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray to you, Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? That's why I fled to Tarshish. For I knew. Oh, saints, don't miss this. I knew you're a gracious God. I knew you're a merciful God. I knew that you're slow to anger and of great kindness. And you repent of the evil. You change your mind. So evidently, this wasn't the first time Jonah's seen this. Notice the phrase, I knew. Right? That's why I ran. Because you asked me to come preach to these people that are sinning and doing wrong, and I knew that this was your mindset. Is Jonah Old Testament or New Testament? Jonah's not filled with the Holy Ghost. He's not born again. No blood has been shed for his sins. But yet, even under the Old Covenant, he says, this is something I know about you. When he says, I knew this, it's an intimate knowledge. This is how you are. I have perfect knowledge that you are merciful, that you are gracious, that you are slow to anger, and that you change your mind about judgment. Amen. What preceded that? Repentance. Right? right now, repent. Very often people say, well, repentance just means to change your mind. It does mean to change your mind, but it also means this. To change your mind with a view to changing your direction. Right. And how you think about something. Hallelujah. You know, repentance of sin, let's use sin for an example. Repentance of sin is not saying I'm sorry. Repentance from sin is seeing it for what it is, sin, changing your mind about it, and then changing your direction, changing your mindset about it. That's sin. Right? There are things that people will keep falling into till they see them as sin in their life and repent for them and get rid of them. Right? 
So this, this whole city repented. They didn't just change their mind. They saw what they were doing was an affront to God, and it hit them in their heart, and they changed their mind. Right? And what did God do? Forgave them. Why? Because that's His covenant mercy. I hear people. I hear people say, "There's no hope for this," or "There's no hope for this nation." Come on, turn that guy off. The Bible says God is the God of all hope. If there is any hope, it's in God. Amen. What what do we have to do? Repent. Look at Luke 13. Luke chapter 13. God's steadfast love. Hallelujah. I, uh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm looking, I think I wrote down my reference wrong. Uh, Luke 15, excuse me, and verse 11. A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me and divide it among them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance on riotous living. When he'd spent all there arose a mighty famine in the land, he began to be in want. And it joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine ate, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against you and before thee, against heaven and before you. Am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. I'll go to my father and repent. Amen. This is repentance. This is not groveling. A lot of times in our circles, we think anything that is uh, something where I admit I missed it is somehow not word of faith or somehow a bad confession. Well, if you missed it, you missed it. Missing it doesn't mean you're not the righteousness of God. This, this son missing it did not change, his missing it did not change his sonship. He was still his son. This man was still his father. But he had missed it. Is that right? Make me one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now that's important. When you miss it, run to God. Don't run from him. He had missed it. He's been feeding pigs. He's not having anything to eat. Nobody will help him. And he says, here's what, here's what he's saying. My God in the kingdom, it was a lot better than this. I had everything I needed. Well, the way you get back into the blessings of the kingdom is you get back with the king. And he said, I'm going to go to my father. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him, here it is, and had compassion. And had compassion. This word compassion carries the same idea as hesed in the Old Testament. Steadfast love. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Notice something. Notice something. The father didn't say, oh, now, 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 son, don't worry about that. Not what he said. He never said, no, you didn't. Did he? 
Never said that, did he? Why? Because he had. He had. Notice what he did say. But the father said to his servant, Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf. Let us kill it and eat it and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. So notice something. The love of the father was steadfast. The son had wasted his inheritance. Blew it. The son had sinned against heaven. He had sinned before his father. And notice this. The actions of the son did not change the love of the father. Amen. God can't change. His attitude can't change. What I do doesn't change him. It changes my relationship with him from my part. Amen. Amen. The father was looking for the son. For what reason? To forgive him. That was already there. The father didn't justify the action of the son. He forgave the actions of the son. Why? Hesed. Steadfast love. Covenant love. With God. Look at uh, uh, Romans 2. I get thrilled. I get thrilled talking about his love. Romans 2 and verse 4. Let's start in verse 2 because uh, to read verse 4 is kind of taken out of its context if we don't read it all. But we are sure the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, or do you think this, O man, that judges them which do such things, and you do the same, that you shall escape the judgment of God? Or despiseth thou, or do you despise the riches of His goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repent? Now, understand this. He's he's saying something that's very important here. He's talking in the context, notice, about a man that's judging others. Now, you can use that in the context of sin, and and it is. But remember that judging anybody, Jesus said don't. Now, judging is not discerning between right and wrong. It's censorious criticism is the word. Being a critic, criticizing other people. Here's judging. Well, I'd never do that. Well, you just judged yourself better than that person. Well, yeah, they got sick, but (laughs) I don't get sick. You just said you're better than me. And what you did was just showed your immaturity. We just didn't see you when you got sick. It happened on a Monday and you was better by Wednesday. (laughs) Or however that goes. But the point is, he says, you're inexcusable. Oh my, did it say that? You're inexcusable if you judge another. And he says, notice, for you that judge do the same things. Amen. Verse 3, thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which does such things, and you do the same, that you shall escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leads you to repent? So, in other words, it is the goodness of God that is pulling on you to change this. 
It's God's goodness. Amen. You have to despise God's goodness, God's forbearance, God's long-suffering to keep on sinning. You have to despise it. Because God's steadfast love is meant to melt the heart and lead to repentance. So important. Because of His steadfast love. Amen. So the actions that we take are because we believe how much He loves us. Amen. Look at 1 John 4. First uh, John 4 and verse 16. And we have known and believed the love God has to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Look, notice the words known and believed. In the story that we call the prodigal son, the son knew his father loved, but he didn't believe it. He knew it, but he didn't believe it. Now, here's why we know. Had he believed it, he would have never thought about asking to be a servant. Amen. I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me a servant. If he would have known how much and believed how much the father loved him, he would have never asked that. There are people that will say they know God loves them, but then they'll talk about God being mad at them. Or they know God loves them, or God let this happen. It's impossible. Love is what it is. And remember what Jesus said? He said, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father do? Now, th this is important. Because if I know how much I love my children, and I would never let anything bad happen to my children, I would never be the cause of anything bad happening to my children. And the Bible says, if I have that much love, how much more love does God have? you got to know it and believe it. Amen. My ability to know and believe the love that God has for me comes from the Word. What does God say? What does God say? In order to know anything about God, go to what His Word says. A lot of people are confused about God because their idea of God came from somebody else and not God's Word. I always say it this way, Grandma taught it and they bought it. It's not necessarily right. Look at John 3. You know this verse, but it's important to look at this. Hallelujah. All glory to our good God. Our good God. John 3, 16 and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus said that the sign that He would give to the religious leaders of His day was the sign of Jonah. And people say, well, yeah, that was three days and nights in the grave. Well, partially, but it was the preaching of repentance. That was the sign of Jonah, was preaching. So notice, why did God send Jesus? To show the world how wrong they were. To beat them up. To condemn them. No, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. 
What, what, what was the prerequisite? I've heard people say, well, Jesus preached unconditional love and acceptance. No, he didn't. It says Jesus, after he was baptized and went into the wilderness and defeated the devil in the wilderness, it says he came preaching, repent! Because why? The kingdom's here. Change your ways. Change your mindset. Change your ideas. And repent. And believe on me. Over and over again he said things like that. If any man believe on me, out of his belly will flow rivers of water. Amen. Amen. Do you believe that, 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 that the Christ is the one? Who is he, Lord? If you tell me who he is, I'll believe. I that speaketh unto you am him. I believe. Right? Go your way. Don't sin anymore lest the worst thing come on you. Every person Jesus dealt with was worthy of judgment. Every person Jesus dealt with was unborn again, unregenerate, born after the similitude of Adam's transgression, and worthy of judgment from a holy, just, pure God, and Jesus forgave them all. Because that's His nature. Always looking for a way to forgive. Looking for a way to show mercy. And he said, that's why God sent Jesus. That is the premier scripture that describes God's love for us. The depth of God's love for us. He loved us so much, he gave Jesus. Amen. Anyone who believes the scriptures cannot ever question God's love for them. After seeing that scripture. Because he did this for the world. He did it for the world. I'm part of the world, but he did it for the world. God so loved the world. And when it says so loved, it means the depth. God had such a depth of love for the world that he proved it by sending Jesus. Romans 5 said that God commended or God proved or God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. Steadfast love. Love to the point of death. Love that's stronger than death. Amen. Amen. That's why in a, in, in, in a marriage covenant, it says this thing is until death do we part. Why? It's stronger than death. It's, it's, it's going to go past death. Amen. That covenant that you have with God is sworn in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is an oath sworn by God Himself. And He said, I'll love you. I'll forgive you. I'll show mercy to you. I'll be compassionate to you. He told Abraham, He said, your descendants are going to go into bondage for 400 years. He said, but I'm going to hear their cry and I'm going to come down and I'm going to deliver them and I'm going to bring them out because I'm going to keep my covenant to you. Everything that God promised you, God God intends to do it. Everything that God wants to do, God will do if I'll just let Him do it in my life. Because His love is steadfast. Glory be to God. And when God delivered the people of Israel, He did it on the basis of covenant. He did it on the basis of covenant mercy. Because they had went away from God. They had forgotten God. Amen. And 430 years later, because of Moses' disobedience, God came down and delivered them and set them free. Based on what? Based on that covenant. Covenant of what? Mercy. Hallelujah. The the manner or type of love that has been bestowed on us is the love of a father. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What what is that love? That we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us because they didn't know Him. Notice, he says that the manner of love that has been called, that has been bestowed upon us is the love of a Father. God is our Father. That's important because most believers that you know don't look at God as their father. 
They look at God as God. They look at God as as uh, the ruler of the universe, the king of the universe, not father. If you don't see God as your father, you'll never know the depths of God's love. Amen. Ever. You never will. Because that's the fatherly love that's been bestowed upon you. A father's love is the strongest love in the world. Amen. People say, well, it's a mother's love. It's not what scripture says. It says it's the love of the father that has been bestowed upon us. Now, a mother's love comes from the Father. But over and over again, Scripture tells us it was the love of the Father. Notice this. Amen. Matthew 3. Let me hurry. I mean, we haven't been together for a while. I kind of expected a little better response out of that, but I'll be merciful. Matthew 3 and verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That word beloved, it simply means this, favorite. In the Greek, it means favorite. This is my favorite Son. And people will say, Well, that's Jesus. Well, but look at John 17, 23. John 17 and verse 23. I and them and you and me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. If God is love, he can't have a different love for you than he does for me. Or a different love for me than he does for you. Or a different love for Jesus than he does for me. Jesus is not God's favorite anymore. Why? Because when he came into the earth the first time, he was the only begotten. Am I right? You're telling me I'm right. I want to make sure you know I'm right. But, but, but after the book of John, he's referred to as the first begotten from the dead. The firstborn among many brethren. Right? Hallelujah. Which, 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 which means the same love that he has for Jesus, he has for me. Amen. So God's love is capable of calling all of us his favorite. One translation says, the Passion Translation says, you live fully in me and now I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity and the world will be convinced that you have sent me for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. Amen. Same passionate love. The same steadfast, never-ending, never-weakening love will see us through anything or anything, any, anything we face. That steadfast love strengthens and empowers us. Because I know God loves me. Amen. Hallelujah. Knowing how much God loves us and knowing the steadfastness of God's love for us empowers us to believe him no matter the circumstance because I know how much he loves me. Amen. When uh, my uh, pastor and his wife were in an automobile accident and uh, her back was broken in three places and uh, the, uh, the doctor said we got to do surgery it's immediate. Uh, we need to get this done. Uh, you know, don't move. You could be paralyzed. All these different things. And I won't take the time to go into all the story, but uh, uh, she, first of all, told him, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not having surgery. Uh, you know, I, that's what she was led to the Holy Spirit to do. And long story short, a pastor called uh, different ones, and Brother Copeland, Brother Hagen, different people. Then he called uh, Dr. Oral Roberts. And uh, Dr. Oral Roberts started praying in the spirit. And uh, then he said, uh, you know, put the, the phone by her ear. And he did. And 
And uh, he said, uh, the first thing I want you to do is, is uh, raise your head up. And uh, so she did. And uh, then uh, Dr. Roberts told the pastor, he said, and I told her to sit up. And he said, uh, you know, this is what he said. And so she sat up. Put your feet on the floor. She did. He said, now stand up. She did. He said, walk to the wall. She did. Walked back to the bed and laid down in the bed. And, and he said, now just, just lay there and let the Lord work on you. But in her telling the story, she made the statement, people say, how could, how could you do that? And she said, because I knew God loved me too much to let me be paralyzed. If you think God let something happen to you, you don't know how much God loves you. And when I say that, I mean just in the, in the terms of you just think God just indiscriminately let something happen to you. There are things we do to tie his hands. Think things, things that, that we do to, to cause what he wants not to occur in my life. But God never indiscriminately just lets things happen to people. Amen. You got to know God loves you too much to let you fail. And I know what some of you are thinking. This is elementary. You know, this is, this is not deep. This is shallow. Well, but here, here's the thing. You'll never, you'll, never, you'll never grow any further if you don't get this. Well, stand up, everybody. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your great love wherewith you've loved us. And, Father, we thank you that the mercies of God are non-ending, ever, ever abundant in our lives. In the name of Jesus.